Let me know. Now, as a dad, there is, I just get, I am so blessed when my girls are being sweet to each other. And they're laughing, and they're being compassionate and considerate, and they're talking kindly. I just love it. It really ministers to my soul as a dad. And on the flip side, when I see my girls cutting each other down, uh, being selfish, I get, it, it triggers me. I get riled up as a dad, and I seek to, to correct that. In our text today, the Apostle Paul talks about the unity and peace that God wants in the church. He wants his kids taking care of each other, being respectful, including each other, and uh, loving each other well. You know, there is a lot of tension in our society right now. Uh, in fact, you, you, you don't have to read far before you encounter somebody talking about the increasing polarization of America. And there just is all kinds of tension in our land. Uh, racial tension. Uh, Asian Americans right now are uh, sensitive to being picked on or blamed for coronavirus. And African Americans are, are, are is feeling like there has been social injustice and and police brutality, right, due, due to Derek Chauvin. Uh, there is a lot of polarization and tension over the question of uh, how best should we handle the coronavirus? Should we have worn masks or not worn masks and lockdowns and not lockdowns? Uh, there is, there's the ongoing, always, tension between the political right and the political left and, and the religious diversity. And there's just tension, in our country. And with that tension, there's often a lack of peace and a disunity, and uh, nobody's liking it right now. We all, I think, feel concerned uh, because of the current um, disunity and division in, in America. But the church has an opportunity to be very different. To, in fact, that one of the one of the purposes of the church is to be a foretaste of what's coming, right? It's a community that's, that models for the world God's real purposes and what we can have as, as children of God. What's coming when Christ the King returns and rules over all things. And so we are called to unity and peace in the church. And when we do that, we model for the world a better way to live. And so, a world where there's division and there's tension and there's uh, disunity and lack of peace looks at the church and says, hey, that looks sweet. How can I be a part of that? Why are they like that? And so, so here's the kind of the thesis for tonight that I think comes right out of our text today, and it's this. Christians, all Christians, no matter the color of their skin, their gender, their country of origin, their, uh, na uh, their nationality, socioeconomic status, all Christians are equal participants 
in salvation and in the, the gospel mission, and so should be equally valued, and uh, there, are, there are no second-class citizens. Uh, we need to love each other, respect each other, be at peace with each other, and unify. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 2. We've been, uh, we've been powering through. Actually, that's not true. We haven't been powering through. We've been taking our sweet time, and it has been sweet. What an incredible, what an incredible uh, letter. So today we are looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to, through 22. But we're really going to focus tonight on verses 19 to 22. Uh, and, but I'm going to go ahead and read the whole text, make a few comments, and then we're going to zero in on three metaphors the Apostle Paul uses to underscore the unity of all Christians. And he wants us to understand our commonality in Jesus Christ so that we will love each other well and, and live at peace and, and uh, experience and testify to the peace that Christ has accomplished for us through his death on the cross. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. Now, the... People to whom Paul is writing this letter are Christians in the city of Ephesus, most of whom were born Gentiles. They're not Jews who accepted Jesus as the Messiah. Some of them were, of course, but the majority were Gentiles who then became followers of Jesus Christ. And before they became Christians, uh, their spiritual state was one of far removed from God and the people of God and the promises and, and purposes of God in the world. And he says, I want you to remember what your spiritual condition was before you became Christians and why is that important? So that we remain appropriately thankful for what we have in Christ. And he describes their, con their condition uh, in five, uh, five ways, or five ways that they were um, spiritually far from God. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. That's the first thing. You're separated from Christ. Uh, you were not united. As Christians, we are united with Christ by faith. And that's a super important theological concept. But they were separated from Christ. They were not being saved by the Savior. Number two, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Now, pre-Christ, the people of God were the Jewish nation, the commonwealth of Israel. And there was a, a very... A strong line of demarcation between the people of God, the Jews, and the Gentiles, everyone else. And you could, if you were a Gentile, you could join the people of God, but you had to essentially become a Jew. You had to get circumcised, and you had to obey the Jewish laws, adopt their dietary system and their clothing, and um, essentially you had to leave your, 
your culture and your society and your friends and family and, and become a Jew. And these Gentiles had not done that. So they were, they were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. They were not part of the people of God. They were separated from the Messiah. Number three, they were strangers to the covenants of promise. God had entered into a covenant relationship with Israel, and He had made promises to His people Israel. And these Gentiles, before they became Christians, well, they were strangers to that. They might have even known about it intellectually, but they were strangers because they were not benefiting from that covenant relationship and the promises God made to His people. Number four, having no hope. Having no hope. The, the gen, these Gentiles uh, didn't have the hope of eternal life, the hope of a better future. Uh, they might have uh, created a false hope through their false religion, but it wasn't the true hope that God holds out to His people. And then finally, without God in the world. You were without God in the world. Even though they were uh, believed in many gods and there was the great temple of Artemis in Ephesus and they were, they were definitely uh, um, religious people, but they did not worship the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Therefore, in, uh, in, in reality, they were without God in the world. And he's saying, I want you to remember just how you know, bad it was spiritually for you before you became Christians. And you know what? The reality is before any of us repented of our sins and put our faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ, we were far away from God. And then there's verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Okay, I want you to remember, guys, just how bad it was spiritually for you, how far away from God, how far away from the people of God, the purposes of God, the promises of God, and the covenantal relationship. You were, you were completely uh, way, way off. No hope. Without God in the world, you were far off. But God has brought you near in Christ. And how did those Gentiles go from being far away from God to being brought near and a part of His people? And it wasn't by their good works, right? Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. And we saw just uh, a little bit earlier in this chapter. For by grace you are saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. It's, it's by the blood of Christ. You were brought near by the blood of Christ. It was Jesus dying on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin that wiped your sin debt clean and allowed you to be reconciled to God. And when you were reconciled to God, you became part of His family and now you're brothers and sisters with all other Christians. This great reconciliation uh, through Christ uh, for people with God and with other Christians. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one. Bo made us both one. He's talking Jews and Gentiles. And has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Now, dividing wall of hostility. Apostle Paul 
probably has in mind an, it, it, in his mind's eye an actual wall. Uh, in the book of Acts, uh, Paul was accused of taking a Gentile uh, beyond the wall of the Gentiles. And they believed that he had brought a Gentile, an uncircumcised uh, Gentile, into the temple grounds. And they wanted to kill Paul for it. So, uh, their archaeologists have actually uncovered some of the signs that hung on the wall. So, by the way, you have the temple. This, in Paul's day, there was the temple of Herod. And there was an, an actual wall that was four and a half feet thick that uh, was around the whole perimeter of the temple grounds. And it was the wall of the Gentiles. Gentiles were not allowed to go beyond that wall. And there were big signs in many different languages warning Gentiles, do not come any closer to the temple or you will be killed. You're not put in prison. They actually executed you. And, and so... In Paul's day, there was great hostility between Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles, as you can imagine, didn't like being looked down on by the Jews. And uh, Jews viewed the Gentiles as, uh, you know, heathens, pagans. And that was a, an, a literal wall signifying this tension between Jews and Gentiles, signifying the hostility. But that, that wall... Uh, in, a, in a spiritual sense, it was later in AD 70, after this was written, it was broken down uh, in physically by the Romans, but it had been destroyed in, in a spiritual sense through Christ's death on the cross. By a ball, um, he has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. So, what did Christ do? Is what separated Jews from Gentiles is circumcision, the kosher laws, the dress code, the them versus us. When Christ died, uh, he abolished that whole religious system. Now, if you wanted access to God, it was through faith in Jesus Christ, not through obeying the Jewish ceremonial law. And so all of a sudden, you could, you could be a Gentile living in Ephesus, eating you know, pork, and you could still be a full, citizen, full member of the family of God, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, and a, and a follower of the Messiah. And so he has abolished the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. The one new man. And here is the central idea that Christians have held on to now for thousands of years, and it's this. When you're a Christian, that's your highest identity. That's who you are. Uh, and every, everything else about you, color of your skin, what you know, nation states you belong to, what sports team you cheer on, what kind of foods you like, uh, 
right? Whether you're rich or poor, all of that stuff is, to is secondary to the fact that you are a Christian. That's the most important thing about you. And, and, it, and it doesn't matter where you live on planet Earth, what language you speak, uh, what you look like, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, that's, you're now part of the family of God, the kingdom of heaven, you're a, holy, uh, a stone in the temple of God, and that's your new and key identity. And so he has created in himself, it's our union with Christ that makes this possible, one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And that peace is peace with God through our faith in Christ and then peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And what's so interesting is that it is Christ who allowed himself to be killed and thereby killed the hostility uh, between God and man and, God and, and uh, Christian and Christian. Verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off, that's the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, the Jews. But both, both people need to hear the gospel. Both Jews and Gentiles are saved by the, saved by the same gospel. They need to hear the gospel and, and uh, believe, right? How shall they believe unless they hear? How, they, how shall they hear unless somebody preaches to them? And so that uh, God is still preaching peace through the church to the world. For through Him, through Christ, we both have access, both, both, meaning Jews and Gentiles, both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you, and now we come to the, the text that we're going to uh, zero in on tonight. So then, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In these last few verses, Paul gives us three metaphors. The metaphor of being a citizen of the kingdom of God, the metaphor of being a member of the household of God and being a stone in the temple of God. And these three metaphors are ways that he's trying to underscore our commonality in Christ. That this, this division that characterized humanity between Jews and Gentiles, kind of an ultimate expression of that division and, and disunity and hostility, it's gone away when we put our faith in Christ and we become unified and we should live at peace. So, let's, let's uh, unpack these. Verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. You're no longer outside the people of God, but you are now fellow citizens with the saints. Fellow citizens. Citizens of what? Citizens of God's kingdom. Citizens of heaven. With all the saints, Jew, Gentile, it doesn't matter uh, who they are, 
they're saints because of their faith in God, and you're now fellow citizens. There are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. This is important to understand. There are no second-class citizens. You're either a part of God's kingdom, you're either a citizen of heaven or you're not. Uh, and there, there aren't rankings. Even amongst, you know, clergy, non-clergy, right? Pastors are not, don't have a, a, a higher status in the kingdom of God. We play a privileged role of getting to proclaim the gospel week to week, and we get to uh, minister, and it's a beautiful thing, but uh, there's no, there is no higher status. You're, you're a full citizen, male, female, young, old, Russian, American, Chinese, rich, poor. If you are a citizen of heaven, you're a 100% full citizen. Uh, you don't, no, you know, nobody has green cards or temporary status, right? It's, it's all in with full 100% privileges. And so we are citizens of the same country sharing a superseding loyalty. So this is important. If you encounter another Christian, no matter what they look like, no matter what language, no, no matter, it doesn't, if you encounter another Christian, then you are citizens of the same country and uh, your loyalty needs to be to this, the kingdom of heaven above any other loyalty you have. So very practically, if American Christians are not Americans first, we're Christians first. Same with a Chinese Christian. You're not a Chinese first, you're a Christian first, and a Chinese second. Republican Christians are not Republicans first, we're Christians first. Democratic Christians, they're not Democrats first, they're Christians first, Democrats second. Southern Baptists, Christians, you're not a Southern Baptist first, you're a Christian first, right? And on and on it goes. What is our core, our, our primary loyalty has to be to the kingdom of God, and it trumps. So let's get, even, let's get even more practical as it relates to unity and peace in the church. And so I have an, an affirmation that I think comes out of this point. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it first, talk a little bit about it, and then I'm going to challenge you to affirm this for yourself by faith. And here's the affirmation. As a citizen of heaven, I will prioritize unity and peace with other Christians above my political viewpoints, denominational preferences, and patriotism. Colossians says that my real life is hidden with God in Christ. The real me is the heavenly me, the eternal me. And when Christ returns, the real me will be revealed. Well, the whole idea is I, I need to think of myself as I am eternal. My time on earth is super, super temporary. But I am, I'm an eternal creature. I'm going to live forever and ever in heaven. 
And so, what's the real me, the eternal me? Where should my loyalty be? Uh, what did the apostles ask when they were told repeatedly, stop preaching the gospel? And they're like, who, who do you think we're supposed to obey, God or you? you judge for yourselves. Of course our loyalty is to God. That's, that's the true kingdom, the eternal kingdom. And so, <clears throat> yes, I have, I have political views that I think are right and good for our country, and, and I'll promote those. But when my political viewpoint uh, is threatening to disrupt the unity and the peace of the church, I need to, I need to get my priorities straight, right? My political agenda for America or the world is not as important as the peace and unity of the kingdom of God. It simply trumps, period. So put, get my priorities in place and stop pressing my political agenda if it is threatening the unity and the peace of the church. Denominational preference. Yeah, I have a, pre I have a preference for the way churches should be organized or the way you know, churches should uh, do their worship. But when, when my uh, preferences begin to risk the peace and unity of the church or threaten the peace and unity of the church, they need to take second priority. They need to take a back seat. And I need to prioritize the kingdom of God because the king has said, peace and unity I value. Patriotism. I'm a, I'm a fan of being a patriot. Uh, and, you know, being a salute the flag and, and be proud to be an American. But that's not my highest priority. My highest priority is I'm a Christian. And so if my patriotism begins to threaten the peace and unity of the church, what needs to go? What needs to be, you know, tamped down, swallowed, calmed down? Patriotism. Because peace and unity of the church is most important. See how that, see how that uh, can affect a community, a church community. It can bring peace and unity when we understand that we're citizens of the same country with sharing a superseding loyalty. All right, so are you ready to affirm this with me? Here we go. Read it with me. As a citizen of heaven... I will prioritize unity and peace with other Christians above my political viewpoints, denominational preferences, and patriotism. The second metaphor Paul uses here in the text is the metaphor of the family of God or the household of God. Verse 19 again. So you're no longer strangers and aliens, you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So all Christians of all stripes are my brother and sister in Christ. No matter where I encounter them, no matter what they eat, Right? Uh, no matter their hygiene habits, <laughs> we're brothers and sisters. And family trumps. We know that. 
The family is your key identity. What family do you come from? Key identity. Well, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says your spiritual family is actually more important than your human family. Human family is important, and, and, it, and there are obligations that go along with that, but it is your eternal family that actually is to be your primary identity. And Jesus modeled this uh, in Matthew, I think it's Matthew 12, uh, some people tell Jesus, say, your mother and, and uh, brothers are trying to find you. They want to talk to you. And Jesus says, who's my mother and brother? Those who do the will of the Father are my mother and brother. In other words, it's, uh, it's the spiritual family, our brothers and sisters in Christ, those with whom we are going to share eternity in heaven, worshiping God. Those are the people. Uh, who that's the family that is most important. So very practically, uh, very practically it means this. Uh, we love family even when they're odd. We don't cut off from family and we take care of family. We know that. That, that applies on a human level. And it certainly applies in the church. We're told, we're told to actually rejoice with other Christians who rejoice and we are to weep with other Christians who, we, who, who weep. They, their uh, successes are to cheer us and their failures are to grieve us. It's because we have owned them as brothers and sisters. And, and so here is the affirmation uh, that I'd like you to make out of this point. But let me read it first and we'll talk a little bit about it. As a member of God's family, and if you are a Christian, you have been adopted into the family of God. You are His child. The Bible is very clear about that. As a member of God's family, I will care for all Christians as brothers and sisters. Not just the Christians who agree with me on my pet doctrinal points, right? Not just the Christians who come to my church, but all Christians are, are, are my brother and sister. And so I need to care for them and be concerned about them, regardless of their cultural background, regardless of their age, regardless of their gender, Regardless of their socioeconomic status, regardless of the color of their skin. And, and so when we get together with Christians, uh, we don't have to agree with everything they do or think or say. They're family, and thus we need to be unified and seek and be at peace with them. All right, so affirm this, if you will, with me. As a member of God's family, I will care for all Christians as brothers and sisters, regardless of their cultural background, age, gender, socioeconomic status, or the color of their skin. So here's one very practical way this works out. Uh, so if you want to be member of Clearwater Church. We have two doctrinal statements. Uh, number one is the statement 
that we ask all members to sign. And it's extremely short, simplistic, and it's a statement that uh, we believe Christian, all Christians throughout the world would agree to. Very minimalistic. And then we have the statement of faith for the church that, uh, that forms what we teach. You can be a member at Clearwater Church if you agree to the very minimalistic statement of faith. Because all true Christians have a right to be a part of the church. Does that make sense? So you don't have to, you don't have to agree to all of our unique distinctives. If you're a Christian and you, 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 know, you have been... You have been converted, and uh, you, you have the same basic understanding of God, and uh, you've been baptized in the faith. You can be a member at Clearwater Church because uh, we are all part of God's family, and we, we recognize that. The third metaphor that uh, Paul gives here is the metaphor of a temple, and we all being um, part of the temple... It doesn't use the word stone, but that, that's kind of the idea, is being a stone in the temple. So we read this. Members of the household of God, verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Uh, so we... This tells us that it's all about Jesus... He's the cornerstone. It's all built on Christ, the Son of the living God. And it's built on the apostles and the prophets, which is another way of saying, you know, the, the teaching that they, has been recorded for us in the New Testament. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Um, elsewhere in Scripture, the individual Christian is referred to as the Spirit of God. Uh, I'm sorry, the temple of the living God. But here it's the collective church, the people of God collectively uh, who make up the temple. So the temple is no longer a physical building. It is the Spirit of God residing in the people of God. And so all of us are, in a sense, stones in that great temple. Earlier in chapter 1, we, talked to, we, we um, learned about the fact that, that every Christian is indwelt with the Spirit of God. And so what is a temple? A temple is uh, holy in that it's set apart as a dwelling place for God. And so, here's the way I, I have affirmed this principle. As a stone in God's temple, I will honor the holiness of all others in whom God dwells. So, I encounter another Christian. If they're a Christian, God dwells in them, and they're holy. They've been set apart for His purposes. And they might not worship the same way that I worship. Uh, they might not 
uh, I might not be like that Christian in many other ways. They might not like fishing even, which is pretty shocking. But if they're indwelt with the Spirit of God, I must honor their holiness. I must honor God dwelling in them. I must honor the fact that they are going to uh, be worshiping God for all eternity. That God has knows them and has written them in the Lamb's book of life. And it trumps uh, so many of the things that normally divide us. Okay, so let's say this together. As a stone in God's temple, I will honor the holiness of all others in whom God dwells. And you need to own that for yourself. That God dwells in you. That you are holy. You are set apart for His purposes. You are, you are much more significant, I think, than any of us realize. And I think we're going to be amazed at what Christ, uh, who Christ is in us throughout all eternity as, as who we really are is revealed. So, the church should be a place of unity and peace where Christian people get to, Christians get together and yes, there's a lot that, that, that is different about us. And we're, we're very different, and, and Christians all over the world are very different in the way they look and how they talk and uh, what they eat and, and how, what they do for fun and on and on. But, but what unites us is so much more significant. Those, all those other things are very small differences. And so there is much that we can be unified about. In fact, there's uh, overwhelming what we can be unified about and that we have in common in Christ and can be at peace around. And all the, all the other things uh, that divide the world don't need to divide us because they just pale in comparison. They pale in comparison. So very practically, I want Clearwater Church to be a place where a Christian can enter and be accepted and valued and encouraged and appreciated and invited uh, into full participation in the church, no matter who they are. If they're a Christian... They have a right to be here, and they have a right to be, uh, and they are welcome to be fully involved in the mission. So Paul has given us reality here. This is the reality, uh, and and if we would live in light of reality, there would be unity and peace in the church. But the problem is, uh, we don't always live in reality. Uh, we don't always let the truth control us and guide us. And so in some sense it's aspirational. Which is why in chapter 4, uh, just a chapter over, he is having to encourage us to walk worthy of our calling, to make efforts to pursue um, peace and unity. It doesn't happen automatically. 
Uh, it should be in, in the church, but it's something we must work towards. So, in fact, this is part of our memory verse this month. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. The assumption there is it is possible to not walk worthy of the calling to which we have been called. And God forgive us when we do that. And may the Spirit of God bring that to our attention and prompt us to repent and change. I urge you to walk worthy, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Why do we have to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace? Because it can be lost. And so am, am I going to, to be a person who is humble in relation to other Christians? Am I going to be gentle? Am I going to be patient with other Christians? Am I going to bear with other Christians in love? By the way, why do you have to bear with one another? Because you irritate each other. <laughs> because you do have things. Uh, you are different in many ways. We wouldn't have to be humble and gentle and patient and bear with one another if we didn't rub each other wrong, right? Um, one of the, one of the uh, illustrations that has helped me as I think about the church is the, uh, the illustration of how a pearl is formed. A, how is a pearl formed? A little piece of sand is irritating the eye duct of the oyster. And so the oyster is crying and crying and crying and crying. And over time, those little tears cover the piece of sand and it becomes a beautiful pearl. And the more tears, the more that little oyster has endured, the bigger the pearl, right? One of the primary ways that we get formed spiritually, that we grow uh, in Christ-likeness is by hanging in there with irritating other Christians. By ex being patient and humble and kind and bearing with and not running away. That's the tendency. The tendency is this, this church isn't giving me what I want and I'm out of here. These people have hurt my feelings and I'm out of here. Stay. Stay in the pain in the pain, stay there and learn. You run away and you're not going to learn how to, how to forgive and how to be merciful and how to show grace and how to reconcile, right? And so, man, find a Christian community and uh, then stick with it. I mean, there are, some, there are some legitimate reasons to leave a church uh, but most of the reasons people leave a church aren't legitimate reasons. Stay there. People who irritate you, people who uh, call upon a whole lot of grace and, and patience and bearing with from you, actually, you know what? They are forcing you to go to, the, to, 
to, to God and, and depend on His Spirit to, you know, to help you um, love that person. And that's good. It's like forces you to flex your spiritual muscles. God, God will give you that help. And uh, you grow and the whole community grows. So we have a world that is lacking unity, lacking peace, um, focusing on our differences, highlighting those differences. And so uh, the fractures in, in society, the natural fractures in society are, are definitely um, being spotlighted right now. And the church has a calling, an opportunity to be different. And to and and in different in the in the, precisely in the sense of unity and peace, where it doesn't matter where you come from, what you look like, how you talk, how you smell. If you're a Christian, we value you. We acknowledge you as as full members, uh, participants in salvation and the gospel. Your brothers and sisters, uh, we share the same citizenship. We're, we're wholly set apart for the purposes of God. Okay, so let's be that community because that's what God calls us to. And there's something about that that um, is central to the beauty of the gospel. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, we honor you for killing the hostility by laying your life down, allowing yourself to be killed. You laid your life down to pay the penalty for our sin as by your stripes we're healed, Jesus. And so we honor you. And God, we, we commit ourselves afresh to walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. Uh, we, we are eager to maintain... Uh, the bond of unity and, and peace. Help us to do that spirit of a living God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.